Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by CornNation.com, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is an episode a long, long time in the making. Before we get to our special guest, whom you may or may not recognize, especially if you're on the video, because I think this might be his first time joining us uh, officially on YouTube. But you know me. I'm Greg Mahochko, joined by our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston. Say hello to the kind people, John. Hi, kind people. And also we have with us, as always, Mr. Todd Wolverton. Hello, Todd. Hey, Greg. How are you doing? Oh, happier than a puppy with two Peters. And welcoming back in grand fashion. The master of UNL. This man departed us. He said, I can't do it all. I can't be on the show every week, carrying the show every week and also work through my master's program. I have to get my education. I have life goals. And we said, okay. That's when we started bringing Todd around. So this is no life goals. (laughs) <laughs> whose whose life goals are all in the rear view because he's 80 years old. Uh, <laughs> it is my privilege. It is my honor. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the five heart podcast. Hoss Reuter. Hello, Hoss. How's it going, Skipper? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I it's going to be a fun show. Yeah. Um, oh, you, uh, you really heat the uh, platitudes on there. Um, thanks for the kind words, I suppose I should say. You, uh, well, no secret, you did depart us to further your education, and you did receive a ma- – you graduated with your master's from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln just a month or so back. So uh, everything that I said was true. It, it very true, very true. It's still a little bit surreal. Um, graduate school was fun. It was also hell at the same time. Uh, I'd do it all over again if I had to, but I'm glad I don't have to do it all over again. If that makes sense. What, I, um, I feel like, based on our conversations, and this is a peek behind the curtain for everybody, but I feel like in talk with you, you do it all over again, but maybe ten years sooner. Yeah, yeah, that's a big <laughs> part of it. Ten years sooner. Um, even something as simple as like, God, go back to school when I was 21 for my undergrad instead of 25 would have been a big difference. But um, it was the life experience of going back to school for both degrees at 25 was great. I don't have any regrets. And, you know, I, now I have, you know, a Master of Arts in Educational Psychology, Developmental Learning and Sciences uh, from the University of Nebraska. So it was good. Once is that really what your degree is? Yep, educational really psychology. That long, though? Yep, educational <laughs> psychology. I just shortened it to DLS, though, instead of doing the whole developmental and learning sciences. And here, we we thought that you were going back to school to be an offensive line coach. So. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, <laughs> life has a funny way of just when you're working towards something, you start to realize wow, I really don't want to live off of uh, credit card debt and ramen noodles until I'm 40 years old. I'd like to get my life started. So now at the uh, tender age of 31, I'm uh, applying for jobs, research jobs, various branches and levels of the federal government, hospital systems, 
um, higher education, like Department of Student Services on college campuses. And I think I'll probably go back for a PhD eventually, maybe in the next decade after I get some life goals and life experiences out of the way. Um, I know that one of the places where I'd like to go for a PhD, John would just his head would probably explode when I say that I might be a Colorado Buffalo for a few years while getting a PhD out in Boulder. Um, yeah. A lot of life experiences to have be had out there. Oh yeah. Nice town. Hate the buffs, but nice town. <laughs> I saw a well, it was really great having Hoss on the show. Bye Hoss. No. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I got this tattoo on my arm of the state of Nebraska. You know, I'm all Husker. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, the this first of all we have to go all the way back to the end of the last season or or in into the early goings like february is when somebody reached out via a comment via feedback on social media or youtube or something asking when are we going to do position group breakdowns and and i had earmarked i'm like yeah we got to have hoss on to talk about offensive and defensive lines and we're gonna get there but hoss kept he's like you realize I'm graduating in months. I don't have time for your silly little internet show. And I said, he didn't phrase it that way. Uh, but, I think you might've caught me in the middle of studying for my master's comprehensive exams too. So yeah, not a good time in my life. And, and there was a, a point, I think just maybe in the weeks before graduation, I said, Hey, I want, I want some Hoss time. Is that when big you day. left me a voicemail that I did not see for like a month? If possible. Yeah, I think so. I can All give I you know. a long story why I didn't see it, but it sounds it's it's one of those ridiculous stories that on on its face it sounds like, yeah, you're making that up. But I got a new SIM card because T-Mobile bought out Sprint. So <laughs> I had Sprint. So I put a T-Mobile SIM card in, never uh reset my voicemail until I had family members being like, did you get the voicemail I sent you about graduation? And I was like, oh, I haven't checked my voicemail in months. So, yeah, there you go. I, you got to understand, I spend a lot of my, I can spend a lot of my workday driving. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. And and when I start to get like the, the droopy head, then I turn on some music. And when that doesn't work, I start dialing. Uh so it's like so, drunk dialing, in other words. You it, got the it, white it, line it, fever from the road. That's right. You got some human interaction. But at one point, the nature of your your uh, victorious triumphant return to the Five Heart Podcast is going to be very different than the show we're going to have uh, for you uh, folks this week. I'm not going to get into. There may be a time and a place for for that. Hoss Reuters curiosity show. now, so like you might. You know, if if both you guys pointed your heads like this, if Greg you went that <laughs> way, and you you could kiss, you could just start making out. That was it, almost. <laughs> I'm drinking beer. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> no, so there. What we're going to talk about th- this week? Yes, we're going to get into the offensive and defensive lines because those are important factors. And, and I like that, Haas, when, when we were kicking this conversation around, you say, you know, things that have to show marked improvement. Because for years on the Five Heart podcast, Haas's uh, coin phrase, his motto was incremental improvement. But Haas, I feel like the time for incremental improvement is past. 
and after a three and nine season and uh, a, a turnover of the especially the offensive uh, coaching staff and you know transfer players coming and going that little baby steps aren't going to get the job done in 2022. No, I think if there was a time for incremental improvement, it needed to be from year one to year two. And I mean, I'm not going to relitigate the past here, but you know, cause you got COVID the COVID year in the middle of that throwing things off as well, but it, we need to be further along in Scott Frost's tenure than where we're at currently. And last year we can talk about three and nine. We can talk about nine losses by what a grand total of 25 points right off the top of my head you know, one possession or less, you know, in every game. With the but, exception of, I think, Ohio State, yeah, which was, was an eight, with nine, nine point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, nine points. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to go through the whole schedule no. right now, but, you know, you can make a case that that's incremental improvement, but at some point, like the case for behavior change, if you're going to look at winning and losing as behaviors, it has to be tangible and it has to be in the win column. You can't just keep going, oh, well, we're close. Okay, well, if you're close, you're going to break through eventually. Instead, you go from October 2nd to November 26th without winning a single damn game, to paraphrase, you know, the late, great Brian Toll. Um, you got you to gotta show it. You got to win. Close does not feed the bulldog anymore. Feed the bulldog. That's a new one. <laughs> can I ask? Can, can I ask something? Can I? Yeah, I'd, John, John, damn Johnson, I'd love to hear from you. Okay. <sighs> Scott Frost's offense. Okay. He never, he never had anything that fit together, did he? It nothing, was, led, nothing led to anything else. Nothing made sense. It was like he literally had a sheet full of plays, and he just said, let's try this one. Am I wrong about that? You're not wrong at all. And I love that you brought this up because you know how like French restaurants or just restaurants in general have like the soup du jour, the soup of the day. Well, Frost's offense was just a grab bag week to week of the successful schemes that you'd see on Saturdays and Sundays, college football in the NFL. So if trying to think of a really good example, okay, he starts infusing some Coastal Carolina option elements into the offense last year after Coastal Carolina bursts onto the scene in 2020 with their pistol beer offense. And then from there, you'll just start seeing these little wrinkles start getting added in. You'll see an RPO where, you know, an H back might lead through this B or C gap. Like it's an insert or ISO play. And then we'll pop it over the top on a little pop pass. And you're thinking, well, shit, I saw Minnesota. We haven't ran that all year, but I saw Minnesota run that last week. So you start to, like, if you watch enough football and you're a scheme junkie, you can start to connect the dots. It's just like in 2017, the Jacksonville Jaguars are running this little inside zone arrow screen RPO to the tight end. They can hand off to Leonard Fournette or they can throw it out wide. I think like Mercedes Lewis was still with the Jags at the time. All of a sudden, we'll watch in UCF that year as the year's progressing and it's looking like we're going to hire Frost. I start noticing, wow, they they're really running a lot of that arrow screen after the Jaguars started running. And I, I can point to a lot of like the Sean McVay bunch sets that Frost started adding into the offense after the Rams started, you know, dialing up the scoreboard with those formations and personnel groupings. So it, 
there's football coaches are notorious for being copycats, but in a way, it's like there's not a single original thought to the Scott Frost offense. Is he Bill? He he's Bill Callahan too, with a better defensive coach. Oh yeah, that's, he's that's, a, he's a guy that wants to think of himself as a great offensive mind, and then he just does shit to go. Oh, watch what I can do, kind of thing. But that's he what does, I get it, it's kind of like stuff. Tim Beck too. He doesn't know how to troubleshoot it in game. He'll come out with this beautiful game plan, and you can see the concepts. They work on the field just like they're drawn up on the whiteboard. Guys are running wide open in the secondary on our, you know, weak side flood concept, the Y cross concept that we hit Toure on for big chunk plays, you know, in every game last year. But we don't have the quarterback to get the ball there consistently. We don't have the offensive line to protect, like that Illinois game last year to start the season is a great example. We got guys running wide open in the secondary all fucking game long. We can't get it there on a consistent basis. So it, he's a great play designer. Like, that's that's what I would say. He's a great play designer, but got to know how to troubleshoot it. Okay, so let me let me pose this question to you. You know, it's he's got this thick old playbook that really isn't part of his system. It's, it's uh, a lot of unique plays, a lot of well-designed plays from time to time. Um, with the addition of Coach Whipple coming in, um, how, you know, Scott Frost is still going to be involved in the offense. So mm-hmm. how, you know, a lot of people have talked, they got to mesh their systems together. Well, maybe you have a system coming in and then you have Scott Frost's thoughts, ideas, and creativity. How does that all happen? That's a good question, Todd. And I think what you'll see is the basis of the passing game be mostly what Whipple did at uh, hit. I almost said Florida State and that's, tangentially related to what I'm going to say, but getting coached there. <laughs> and I think you'll see a lot of the run game be from stuff that we've ran under Frost, especially last year. You know, we had a nice goal line package that we used Chancellor Brewington in motion on that escort motion, kind of a jet sweep and then snap the ball and he leads through, you know, on duo or G lead. And so I think the, the running game will remain pretty unchanged, but I think the passing game, you'll see a lot of that, Whipple's passing game is kind of like a uh, proto spread from the late 90s, early 2000s. It reminds me more of what OU was running early in the Bob Stoops era. A lot of shallow concepts, mesh, drive concepts. Um, And it reminds me a lot of the Florida State offense that Bobby Bowden ran with like Charlie Ward. Because I'm just, yeah, a scheme junkie. I go back and watch games from when I was like three years old and Nebraska wasn't even playing in them. But, um, so I think you'll, it, it'll be interesting to see how they mesh it together and if it can be cohesive in terms of like the language that they use, you know, guys being able to communicate the play calls to one another because Frankenstein offenses, I'm always a little leery of seeing those, you know, get installed. You're muted, Greg. Thought I unmuted myself. To that point about Frankenstein offenses, so many – moving parts this off season going back to uh you know Whipple and and basically an entire offensive staff and then you have like Casey Thompson you have uh the transfer for uh offensive lineman from Oregon, Oregon Oklahoma State Hunter Anthony thank you i mean you you've got um the the kid from LSU you've got a lot of 
guys coming in. And I feel like it's a very short runway to put all the pieces together before you get on a much longer runway and go to Ireland to face Northwestern. Um, Think about this. We are seven weeks, I think, from give or take a day or two, uh, I believe, from Nebraska Northwestern in in Ireland. And and that is mind boggling that we're already through the first week of July and that, again, it's another zero week game for Nebraska, which means it's a it is it's, it's a shorter preparation period. How, how do you see all of these, uh, Haas, all these moving parts coming together uh, that, you know, guys are still, you know, now it, it's not so much now. I mean, the, the day that we're recording this uh, is July 5th, and we got a couple of class of 2023 commits that, you know, we'll probably get to, but you had guys committing well into the offseason and even after spring. How do you, how do you get some of these guys prepared and coached up for, you know, what is a, a, a almost a preseason time frame game? Well, you hope that you did a lot of the heavy legwork in the spring. And you hope that guys, you know, quarterbacks and receivers are throwing together in the summer and the offensive lines doing their meetings in the summer, you know, watching film and just doing some very basic walkthroughs on uh, line calls, line adjustments against different defensive fronts. But you're right, time is a critical factor here with playing a week zero game and I'm just happy it's Mike Hankowitz isn't Northwestern's defensive coordinator anymore because a young offense going up against his defenses. I mean, he was the best in my opinion. He'd always have a nice third down call to confuse the young quarterback. Like he had a nice little corner blitz against Adrian when he was a freshman in 18, that was a sack fumble right before the half that they ran back for a touchdown. So you got to be prepared and you hope that, you hope that Casey Thompson knows the playbook inside now. You hope that the guy, whoever steps in at center, whether that's Trent Hickson or if they pull off the, you know, idea that's been kicked around, Turner Corcoran going to center. You hope that the center knows all the adjustments for pass protection. You can run that through the center rather than have the quarterback do it like you've done with Adrian calling out the protections for the past four years. And, you- uh, yep. John? When, when I, if you were in this situation, wouldn't you just look at this and go, okay, we're going to have five run plays and five pass plays that we know like the back of our <laughs> fucking hands. And that's the funny when, part. By the time that, we get into November, that's what our off, that's what almost everybody's offense gets pared down to. Just the basics that have been refined and adjusted for, you know, specific schemes that the opponent shows. And there might be a few new wrinkles added in, but um, yeah, sometimes less is more. You know, you, I mean, Minnesota's going to run nickel duo 35 times a game. Dude, I, I was at that game in Minneapolis last year. I got so freaking sick and tired of seeing that. Yeah. And but they're ridiculously large tight ends and H backs just washing down our defensive edge. Uh, it, but that, that just goes against what Frost has been so far, where he's just had the big playbook or the big play sheet and, oh, look at this stuff that I want to try. And, just come up with five run plays that you can run, right? You know, that's not that hard, you wouldn't think. And that, that's last year by the end of the year. I mean, I haven't rewatched anything from last year recently, but off the top of my head, I mean, we were basically to the point where we pared everything down where 
we had our goal line plays, you know, why I said about Chancellor Brewington coming in motion and killing a guy on the edge, you know, to spring, <laughs> you know, the hole open. Um, we had our quarterback runs. We had a few option concepts. And then other than that, deep shots to Toure. Um, we tried to throw screens. They were never the prettiest thing in the world. That's, I don't think we've thrown a good screen since like 2006 or seven, you know. Um, but yeah, the basics, you know, just drill down the basics and rep it, build that confidence and Hey, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go execute it. Um, I think that's where a lot of the execution issues and the mental mistakes come back to bite us under frost is we're doing so much that we don't really have anything that we can just reliably hang our hat on. Like you said, Minnesota's got to run duo 35 times a game. Iowa's got to run outside zone. It doesn't matter if you're stuffing it for the first three and a half quarters. They're going to pop a big one with Goodson down the sideline on you when it really hurts, you know, to slam the dagger in. And then Ohio State, I mean, they're basically just going full air raid anymore with what they want to do. But, yeah, I mean, Big Ten teams have an identity. And I, I know that's an overused buzzword in Nebraska football for the past 20-some years. But it is true. We need to have that identity of this is what we do. This is who we are. Try and stop it because we've we've repped it to the point where we can execute it against any front, any coverage, you know. And then it also helped. We just had better dudes than the opponent does. I feel like Nebraska's identity. I, I gosh, I want to say at least the last five years, maybe the last ten. <laughs> into the Pelini era and maybe even before that is uh, we'll play with you and then we'll piss down our legs. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and I recall something very recently. I can't remember the source and I apologize, but it was one of those uh, big 10 coaches had the ability to anonymously no, not not shit talk or anything like that. Oh, yeah, they can, on what they do every year. Is that what it, okay. Yeah. 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 And, and, it, I felt like across the board, uh, all the coaches were saying about Nebraska is a lot of talent, maybe more talent than our own team, but undisciplined gets in their own way and, and the mistakes cost them. I, Haas, since we didn't have the pleasure of having you on the show last year, nine losses, and I'm not going to, we're not going to rehash them all, but what was the most frustrating one to you? Oh, come on. It's got to be Michigan State, you son of a bitch. <laughs> no, Michigan State, trust me, that one hurts. That one hurts bad. We held them um, to no first downs the entire second half. I got to go with Kenny Michi- Walker. I got to go Kenneth with the, Walker. I got to go with the Michigan game because as we've been talking about Scott Frost play calling and the grab bag of offensive concepts that he uses, that's a great example of when having a grab bag offense works in your favor because that was some of his best play calling. Of, the, of his entire career, going back to UCF, you know, I mean, he was dialing and scheming stuff up to get guys open, to convert, you know, third and short for first downs on, in the run game. And to lose that one like we did, where I was in the stadium that night and I had no doubt that we were going to go down and score before Adrian fumbled. And then, you know, they go and get their field goal. We come back, he overthrows Oliver Martin on a crossing route that probably would have gone the distance, you know. So that was the most frustrating loss for me because the play calling 
was top-notch. The defense was getting good stops, even though Hassan Haskins ran all over us like shit through a tin horn. So that one hurt. Oklahoma hurt, too, because, damn, we were more physical than they were. <laughs> then Illinois, I just hate Brett Bielema. Yeah, fact. Cosine. The identity of, of the offense for Nebraska has been lack of discipline. And it's been that way pre-Frost. And Frost has not done a damn thing to fix that part of, of the program. And, you know, we've cussed and discussed and debated that to no end. Um, you can have brilliant X's and O's. You can have all the Jimmies and Joes that you need. But if you are going to jump offside, if you're going to hit guys out of bounds, if you're going to make the mental errors, and I, you know, I agree with what Haas said about, you know, maybe the complexity at times causes some of those mental mistakes. Uh, but holy moly, uh, you know, that's the most, I think that's the most frustrating part about watching these football teams that we've seen the last few years is that it is so far removed from what made Nebraska successful years ago. Execution, do it right. I agree with that 100%, especially what you said about the discipline. There's been no accountability for, for when guys jump off sides or they hit a guy out of bounds or, you know, a false start, illegal procedure penalty. Sometimes a coach has got to use the best motivating tool he has, and that's the bench, you know, set someone down. And people can say, oh, well, we don't have the depth to do that. And it's like, at some point, you just got to, you got to do it. I mean, Adrian Martinez imploding against Purdue last year. It's like at that point in the year, throw Logan Smothers in, you know? Yeah, I never understood that. Reps. Yeah. It, because if you go back to two years ago, when, uh, and again, I don't think this was caused by injury, but, you know, I think it was uh, Martinez having, having a uh, worse game than normal. McCaffrey. Yeah, when when they brought in McCaffrey and and you know he he showed things and it, it, he didn't sustain it and and nor do I think he could and I think he showed you know it with his uh, cup of coffee at Louisville uh, and then going down to Rice you know that he's not no offense to the kid he's not a major player you know um, could have been a he could have been a West Walker type slot receiver in the NFL I mean his dad and his brothers needed to sit him down and have that conversation with him yeah. Yeah. Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not we're not sympathetic to him, John. I think he, he he'll do what he, he'll, he'll like go, Eric, uh, Eric Crouch could have been that Wes Welker type with the St. Louis Rams if he would have stepped around. I think you're right there too. And speaking of Crouch, uh that Iowa game last year, Smothers first start, him turning the corner on the option. I mean, we hadn't seen speed like that in a long time running the option. Yeah. Yeah, he looked really <sighs> Sharp running at. I've, um, I'll try to phrase this properly. There's no. Spit it out. Okay, fine. You had too many of your fancy beers there, Greg? Yeah. Uh, this fancy is beer guy. This is a Kona Brewing Company Big Wave Golden Ale. Did you buy that at Costco? Uh, no, I bought it at a chain grocery store in my St. Louis Metro East area, sir. Did you buy it at Jewel Osco? No. All right, I'll give him a shout out. Schnooks. Yeah. Schnooks. If Schnooks. you know if you're from the St. Louis area, you know. Okay. Schnooks is yes. where it's at. Now, now we know. 
I'm a rewards member. Let's get you a sponsorship. And, uh, little NIL deal. That's right. Schnooks. Schnooks. S C H N U C K apostrophe Schnook was a family. And so you could go back and say, you know, think they 80, got made fun of with that last name in school. Not with the kind of money that they probably rolling around. Oh, yeah. That's the great equalizer. <laughs> uh, there's no quarterback contest. Or, I mean, it, it's Casey Thompson's job, isn't it? That I would assume so. You know, Chuba Purdy being injured for most of spring ball and, you know, Smothers, you know, I just, I don't think that he's going to be the guy that Whipple's going to want running that offense. Casey Thompson kind of seemed like he was the hand selected guy to come in and um, wish he could have had more throws in the spring game because that would have been nice to see, you know, he threw a nice corner route with pressure right in his face, but other than that, we didn't really see much from him. I mean, That's you can go back and watch right that Red River face. shootout from last year when he threw for almost 400 against Oklahoma. You know, he's playing pretty well. With pressure right in his face. Yeah. It's in the pressure. spring game. It's a, it's a spring game. <laughs> well, I've, I've seen other Nebraska quarterbacks shit the bed completely with that much pressure in their face. Interesting point. Uh, I'm glad the spring game got brought up. Uh, I have not watched the spring game. I recorded the spring game, and one of my children uh, decided to hide my remote because we operate off the Roku. You can't watch the DVR programming on the Roku device. So it wasn't until about two weeks ago when we were doing a deep clean that I found my cable, charter, spectrum, whatever you want to call it, remote. So I still have the 2022 spring game saved on my DVR is going to get watched. Not this weekend. I'll be out of town. Don't shake your head, John. It, it's an look it. Here's the thing. I think John and I are in the same. Yeah. I'm camp on this. But I, you I can feel, go watch Godfather three, 18 times before you watch the fucking spring game. Okay. <laughs> but I feel, <laughs> I feel like as host of the five heart podcast that I'm, I'm already three months behind now. And I feel like it's an obligation uh, to, you're gonna you're gonna need to have the roster pulled up next to you for the three quarters of that game just to figure out who is who. You're not gonna find out any information from who this from the start. Other than disappointment and tears. Yeah, I mean, like I I was sit, I watched it live and I was just like, there was a moment where I was like, fuck, I don't even know who this guy is. Like, and then I realized I'm like, oh, it's mostly you know guys deep down on the roster on the field. All your all you're going to see is that Grant guy's pretty quick. That's all you're going to yeah. see. And he, he's got good feet. He can he's got it. a great run early in the game. Yeah. So I think my own, my own son, the Gophers fan, texted me during our spring Grant game and said, this is a shit show. What does yeah, that, that's, that's about our spring game, not his spring game, our <laughs> spring game. Yeah, but. You have a rotten son. He, See, you my, know what? He, uh, of of I my think three when sons, he, he the one who foot, when he watches football, I think he has a good idea of whether he's watching good, decent football or not. Like okay. definition of pornography, you know when you see it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but of my three sons, the one who can talk still says "Go Big Red." That's good. Good. Don't let him root for Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> 
No. And he's not going to be all ski you mom. Yeah. Oh, what a <laughs> what a disappointing future awaits you, Greg. That is a nice <laughs> campus they got up there. Wasn't keen on the $15 for a grain belt at the stadium. John, should we tell these guys uh, our bit of news? Are we having a baby that I didn't know about? What's going on? <laughs> our bit of news? Uh, October 1, 2022. Oh. I'm going to be in Minnesota. And I have invited myself to watch Nebraska versus Indiana, the homecoming game with John Johnston. And he foolishly said yes. <laughs> and all I have to do did is he get invite up. You or did you invite yourself? I totally. I, I said, hey, I'm going to be up in the area. And uh, if you want to hang out and watch the football game, I'll stay till Sunday. Otherwise, I'm going to go home on Friday. And people said, ask me about shit like three over. If people ask me about stuff that's like over a month away, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. The world isn't even going to exist then. That's then what I realize- do. My own. My whole future is one month ahead. Then you realize the bill always comes due. <laughs> Greg, you will be invisible. You will be invisible. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll sit. You'll be sitting three foot away from the guy, and he will not even have a clue that you're there. He's got to be. He's got to be tweeting. He's got to be writing. He's got to be doing all this other shit. <laughs> And then he misses something, and then he's got to rewind it and watch it real fast, and he's behind. It's it's the only way it's enjoyable to watch a game with that son of a bitch is to take all of his toys and devices away from him and make him sit in a stadium, preferably in enemy in enemy territory. Then he he excels in those types of situations. John, you and I have had long form discussions over Slack about play calling in game. And I'm like, how does this guy have enough time to type out this message? Like I'm checking it maybe once every three commercial breaks. I'm like, Oh, I got three more messages. It's the implant in his head. Somehow (laughs) he has figured out how to transfer thoughts to his devices. I, I can type real fast. Oh, you Mavis Beacon typing? Yeah. Yeah. So are, are we going to go over there? Are we, is he coming back for offensive and defensive line podcasts? Or are we going to go through those? I we was just going to, I was just, I was just going to go that direction, John. We should split them up. Yeah, we let's do, we could do split them up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we have no problem with that. You guys because- are like, I, I'm the interloper here. Like, even though it's one of the founding members of this thing with Greg here, you know, one of three founding members. Um, Let's not forget about Brian. We right? still Brian's have to go said, through July. Three. We have to get through July. With then John was stuff. the interloper, you know. Now I'm the interloper. You know? There was a time when I, we had a tripod. Oh, yeah. Here. We would talk about, like, things like Blue Chew. We still records. do. Good. Don't ever change, guys. We still do. In fact, I, I was talking to a friend of the show, Josh, who he's going to see that Hoss is on this show. He's, he's going to download it and listen to it right away. But I, as again, I'm recording this uh, July 5th. It's my birthday. Don't worry about happy birthdays in the comments. Not that you would anyway. Um, but I, he's like, oh, how do you feel? How's 40 feel? I said, same as always. Woke up with a stiff back, stiff knees, stiff pecker. and Just sure that one of those three is going to go away in a couple of years. So, 
Uh, well, uh, you know, he said that's why they made blue chew. <laughs> that's eight and a half years away. So. Ah, feels feels good to feels good to be so open and honest. It's really therapeutic to be here with you guys. Thank you. <laughs> but do you think do you think that Scott Frost is actually going to turn over the offense to Mark Whipple? You know, I could see him initially turning it over, and at the first sign of trouble, he pulls the reins back, just like. You know, other coaches we've had, Bo Pelini, with even though he wouldn't take over play calling duties on offense, you know, he just handcuffed the coordinator to the point where we ran nothing but power and toss sweep, you know, 40 times a game. So, I, if it goes well through the first three or four games, let's say you go over to Ireland, beat Northwestern, take care of Georgia Southern and North Dakota, and then say beat Oklahoma. Yeah, I bet he'll let uh, Whipple just do his thing, but. First sign of trouble, I bet he pulls back on the reins. So so in the, the late first quarter against Northwestern? Yeah, I mean, like John, in my nightmare John. scenario, that's probably how it goes. Because I just want to take a moment and talk about how livid I am that we have to go over to Ireland to play a game. Like, I'd love to go to Ireland someday. It's nothing against Ireland. I wouldn't want to go there for a football game, you know? No. And um, I'd just be more excited if it was Nebraska-Northwestern at Ryan Field in Evanston or playing them, I don't know, even in Chicago or something or Minneapolis or, you know, some neutral site game that all those early, you know, non-cut, well, week zero, week one games up. But I think you're asking for potentially a recipe for disaster going, taking a young team to Ireland to play a team that you did kick their ass the year before, 56 to 7. But you know they bounce back year to year, and they're going to be another year older in development, and they're probably going to settle in a little bit more defensively because last year is the first year they didn't have Mike Hankwitz coordinating their defense. So, I don't know. I, I'd love to beat Northwestern because I despise losing to the nerds. <laughs> I'm going to well, say this, and I'm going to get into trouble for it. Do it. Wouldn't the best case scenario be if we lost to Northwestern and hence had to fire Scott Frost on the spot, leave him in Ireland? And when he's in Ireland, we draw up fraud charges against him in Nebraska so he can't even come back to the fucking state. Give him the Lane Kiffin treatment? Yeah. Before Lane Kiffin went on the hero's journey of redemption? Right. He could go on his hero's journey somewhere else. Yeah, go be offensive coordinator at Alabama. There you go. Good golfing down there at the Bob Jones Golf Course. <laughs> he might just be a golden tee guy. Who knows? So much, John, of what you just said. <laughs> I was waiting for any reaction to that. What's that? Uh, har- yes. Harkens back to the original spirit of how the conversation was going to go when Hawks joined us. And Haas said in his words, I'm paraphrasing. I could look in the text. It's not that far away. But he said, I don't see how beneficial it would be to go negative. <laughs> we can talk about uh, hey, the marked uh, improvement that we need in 2022. <laughs> but John, John, brings up, John brings up a great point because, okay, I'm. it's no secret. I was thinking Frost is going to be fired last November as well. And then, you know, we get the, you know, whatever the, the empirical data doesn't show a turnaround's imminent, but we're good. Hell, we're going to give it a try anyway. It's that whole routine from Ronnie Green and Trev Alberts. But 
so I'm trying to be optimistic because it's not fun just being pessimistic all the time, you know, even though I'm my brand of optimism's mostly just being a realist when it comes to Nebraska football. But if we're going to show improvement, you can't have a quarterback throw more than 10 interceptions. You got to be able to run for probably two, 250 yards a game. And defensively, the numbers weren't bad last year, but they weren't great. They were middle of the pack. Um, we were solid. We didn't play with a lot of violence of action on defense or disruption. We just, you know, got off blocks, made stops. So you got to dial up a pass rush this year. And between O'Shawn Mathis and uh, Stephon Wynn, Ty Robinson, Garrett Nelson, those guys, that looks like a pretty good group to, you know, rush the passer. But I've also been burned so many times by Nebraska football hype that I'm just kind of in the wait and see mode, like John here, you know, got some nice pieces, but we need to go out there and execute on the field. Can't be drinking Kool-Aid anymore. We can't be the off season national champions anymore. Like I want to win real football games. Hoss, do you remember when Scott Frost was announced? Many moons ago. And do you remember, I think either what we texted about that we were going to fight for the national championship in 2022. <laughs> yeah, or, or or discussed here on the show. We're like, yeah, man, it's going to be perfect. We'll go down to New Orleans. We'll yeah. up. And then and, I, uh, I believe, too, that we were like, wait a minute, January 22, it's played in Indianapolis. We'll be yeah. there. Yeah. I remember Adrian Martinez will be a senior, probably win the Heisman. <laughs> oh, we're, we're drinking the Kool-Aid, man. There's nothing wrong oh, with that. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what, though, Kool-Aid, the reason we drink the Kool-Aid, the reason the Kool-Aid is so delicious is stop interrupting me. You can't just come back and then interrupt the host. I thought thought I was a half proprietor. Uh, You sold some of your shares. (laughs) I'm just big your head now. The... uh, Hope springs eternal, right? Every offseason, every summer, we get to be as optimistic as we want because we know used to be week one. Now it's week zero that it all can come crashing down. (laughs) So we have to, I think, you know, hold on to as much hope, you know, when, and we're not going to get into it now. Like, like John says, we have all July, Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll sit down. We'll go week by week. What, what's a W, what's an L, and what's an unknown? And then I think that when we get to the end of the season, we'll find we all have winning records. And if we all have winning records and the Huskers have a winning record, then we're all winners. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking to be proved Thanks, right, right there. What the hell was that? Some kind of a Mr. Rogers <laughs> type God. of. He came, he worked his way in some magical little circle there. Just, <laughs> I got lost. <laughs> I think that, you know what that was? That was a Scott Frost halftime speech. That's what that was. And now everybody's confused. And that's why we didn't talk. We didn't spend any time talking about adjustments. We just get a little rah-rah. And now we're going to go get our asses handed to us. I don't even you know, know what Scott Frost saw good halftime adjustments. You know what Scott Frost said at the halftime in the Iowa game? No, what he said. He said, guys, we're leading Iowa for now. 
You know, I was at that game and to put more salt in the wound, it was my birthday that day. So uh, I got to witness us lose to Iowa for the seventh year in a row on my 31st birthday. Second, that punt was blocked. I was actually, it was me, my brother-in-law, one of my friends who's a Husker fan, and then his longtime girlfriend, who she's an Iowa fan. It's the only character flaw that she has. She's a great person, except that one thing. <laughs> right before the punt, she turns to me. She's like, I thought you'd be happier. Like, you're up 21 to 6 on Iowa with, you know, I don't know, 11, 12 minutes left. And I just looked over at her. I was like, just wait. Just wait. Yeah. <laughs> and the pump lock. And I remember looking at our sideline and seeing heads down. And I look over at Iowa's sideline to see calm, confident poise. And I'm like, yep. The goose is cooked at this point. I could have yeah, left like, right there. That that literally is all of last year, and it's been a while. Honestly, we could go back and look at other things. Oh, in Colorado, the close, yeah. Colorado leading by God knows how many points and shitting that game away. I mean, I was going somewhere with it, but what what is it? What is that? It's got to be a mental. <laughs> I'd love to say, oh, it's a mental block, but that's too reductive. It just comes down to you're not doing enough of the little things right. You're not, you know, it sounds cliche, but like Al Pacino's any given Sunday speech, half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite make it. It's like, that's the truth right there. You know, just so, those little small so things a, that I don't think there's good quality of instruction going on day to day uh, throughout the week in practice. And what makes this believe? Oh, go ahead, Todd. They, they yep. don't know. They don't know how to win. They don't know how to win. They don't know how to finish. And you know they're up twenty-one to six over Iowa. <laughs> you know they've won three flipping ball games the entire season. But I guarantee you, they thought, "Hey, we're it, job done. We're, this is over. We don't." You know, and and a couple guys. It only takes one or two guys on any given play. It takes one guy. Hmm. On any given play, to blow an assignment and it all goes to hell. Yeah, I mean, think about through all the running backs we had through the Pelini years, guys like Roy Halu, Rex Burkhead, Amir Abdullah, they're dodging tacklers three yards in the backfield after getting the handoff. Imagine what they could have done rushing wise if they had, you know, the offensive line got off the ball and gave them, you know, a couple of yards to read the defense, make their cut and go. It's that same principle. Um, one guy screws it up. Um, good example. I mentioned outside zone for Iowa earlier and how they'll bust a long one on you after you stop them for three quarters. Casey Rogers doesn't get to the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle. He gets hooked. Goodson's straight down the sideline to get him into scoring position to take the lead. Those small things. And when you don't know how to finish a game, you don't have that killer instinct. Doubt starts creeping in where it's like, yeah, we're up on these guys, but hey, we were up on Michigan State before a punt went halfway across the field the opposite direction where it's <laughs> supposed to go. Adrian fumbles against Michigan. Whether that ball should have been blown dead is another conversation. Uh, you know, Minnesota, you claw back in it, but you don't know how to finish the game. The flip, the flip side of that, too, is, is when you're beaten that many times like that, it's, it's on the opposite side of this, too, that what's going to happen? You know, we're up. What's, what's going to go wrong next? You're bracing for impact constantly. Where do we think in any of this that this is going to be different this year? Are we going to blame Adrian Martinez? Can we blame Adrian Martinez? <laughs> you know, I, I, mean, I, an question. I hope the best for him at Kansas State. So do I. But I, I'm I glad hope they, that we're moving on. 
I hope that we he gets to a bowl game. Honestly, I hope he has a really great season. But that's a literal question. It's not rhetorical. Can we blame Adrian Martinez for a lot of the last year's failures? In terms of not executing and making mistakes when he shouldn't have. At Minnesota, he's a fourth-year fucking starting quarterback, and he backs into the end zone and he takes a safety. The worst part a is fourth-year starter did not does not do that. And the worst part is he had a relatively clean pocket when he started to scramble. And it's like he should have just stood in there, you know, waited for somebody to pop open. It's easy to armchair quarterback the thing to hell, you know, eight nine months later. But man, I mean. That's a good example right there, John. As is like Purdue, you're humming, you know, clicking along, getting ready to take a two-touchdown lead before halftime. He overthrows Toure on a deep crossing route. You know, whether that got lost in the sun or whether Toure should have extended a little bit more to it, you know, those things can be discussed too. But, I mean, there were a lot of moments. The, the game that I thought Adrian played the best in, and he still had an interception in, though, was the Wisconsin game last year that he got hurt in. Um, he did everything he could to get us there. And then, you know, we get down into the red zone to try to tie the game and we get called for holding backs us up, you know? So I think if we're going to blame anything this year, probably what goes back to what Todd said about discipline, you know, having the discipline to an edge rushers coming around the corner when you're playing right tackle, not clutching and grabbing, but actually moving your feet to reset in front of them, stuff like that stuff. That's, indicative good quality of instruction on the practice field to get guys prepared for situational football. How does a three and nine team with all of the inconsistencies and the lack of a track record of success from a head coach, uh, notwithstanding one, season down in Orlando how do how does how does this team this program continue to recruit so well is it all the influence of NIL is it is it guys who see that oh they're on the verge and and I'm going to get them I from from the transfer portal guys like the Oshawa Mathis's who like these are people who are you know they're they're proven successful assets on the field to, you know, now we're talking about high school kids, uh, you know, from the receiver that from Georgia, the three or four star that Barry uh, Jackson. Thank you. Yes. Uh, who committed. And then we got two new commits today. Happy birthday to me. But how does uh, this is not, you know, 1995, 96 Nebraska, where, or, or even 98 or 99 or 2000, 2002, where success is relatively recent or, or in the middle of it. This is a team that hasn't competed for shit in a long time. They haven't been conference champions in 20-something years. They, they haven't, haven't been to a bowl game since the Obama administration. Oh. Yeah, and that, that one hurts. That one hurts when you put into that <laughs> <laughs> that's not a political statement. No, know, that, like, that that that's a that's a that's an era. Yeah. Um, that that is an era of, of our. I was American a, history. I was a twenty six year old freshman in college last time we were in Oregon. <laughs> now I have a full bird master. <laughs> uh, to put it well, to put it in similar, uh, 
I was a father of one who was days old at the time because that would have been the UCLA game, correct? Not Tennessee Music City Bowl. Okay, Gee, so wait, he wait, was one. What year was this? 16. Uh, I've yeah. been dead by now. <laughs> <laughs> John's just playing with house money at this point. Yeah. But but he, he did ask you though, how do you think we're still recruiting DC? We're still recruit out recruiting the big well, the, the name still carries a lot of weight. You think that's it? I well, I don't think it's the only thing, but like the guys that you know, the high school coaches that are coaching these players, you know, they're guys that are of an age where, you know, Nebraska, wow, that's a big deal. You know, you're getting off from Nebraska, you know, that name still carries weight. But then you think about how it's the only show in town and the facilities and it's a top you know, notch university and Lincoln's a pretty cool place. And the NIL money does factor into it. It's like what Casey Thompson said on uh, Will Compton's podcast back in March, you know, the NIL money at Nebraska is much better than down at Texas. And so, and then you couple it with the fact that we hired some ACE recruiters and Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph. I mean, for being honest about Bill Bush, Fellini was a moron to let him you know, go when he took over. Like he should have kept Bush around because what he was doing on the West Coast recruiting Arizona and California. And then Mickey Joseph actually knows how to recruit Omaha, you know, unlike, you know, that former receivers coach, Matt Lubick, who I've seen some bad hires at Nebraska. That one might be at the top of the list. I mean, he didn't call worse, plays. worse than Bob Diaco. Bob Diaco at least had done something of merit in his career, yeah. aside from being the son of a moderately successful college football coach. So Mickey Joseph, next Nebraska football coach. I don't know. I've never been a coordinator before, but sometimes maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we go the figurehead route. Guy's a good recruiter, good program manager, and your coordinators are your top-notch X's and O's guys. You know what? We could go the figurehead route right fucking now if Dinkle shits and keep his hands off his own fucking program. If he let his coaches run his program, he probably actually he'd win more than three games in a year. Did you just call the head coach Dinkle shits? That's kinder than what I've called him when I'm mad during a game. Dinkle shit. Disagree with that statement. I can't disagree with you because there's a lot of truth in it. Yeah. But but there's just so many people that want to hang on to him because of the frost name, and it's like Go dope him up and wheel him out on a fucking dolly and let his coaches run the program. See, the thing I have, that, a, no, the I have thing a serious follow up about this whole thing is when we hired him, and Greg, you can back me up on this. I was not thrilled for the month leading up to the hiring about Frost. I thought it's just the name, it's just that connection to 1997 Nebraska. But then as the, it got close to hiring. He was beating like USF in that crazy game. And he beats Memphis to the conference title. And then he go after we hire him, he goes and beats Auburn. I'm thinking this might be a case of it's the best of both worlds. It's the top coach on the market right now. He's got a great offense, great play caller, and he satisfies the people who want to see a Nebraska guy coaching Nebraska. And I think that's what that's what's frustrating about it because if it was anybody else. They go three and nine in year four. COVID year be damned. I mean, they're burnt in effigy on 72nd Dodge. Like, I just want to see some honesty. He's got to cut both ways. You know, Mike yeah. Riley was crucified by week three. 
20. People wanted to fire him after we lost to BYU in the first game of his career. Mike no Riley, the USFL coach of the year. <laughs> New Jersey Generals. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Riley needed to go. I'm not going to sit here and argue that we should have <laughs> given him another year. But it's like what John said. What, what else can you do, you know, at this yeah. point? I know I do have a serious uh, follow up to the the figure. Who are the more successful head coaches? Are they the hands on or are they the hands off figurehead types? I mean, let's look at um, in the NFL. Belichick, I feel like he was pretty hands on. Yeah, he, he rules with an iron fist. I mean, let's go. Saban's the same way. Saban, he'll let his coordinators do the thing, but he he has his finger on the pulse of everything inside that program. You know, that's um, because he's paying attention to everything yeah. inside the program. Exactly, and like people can say, "Oh, well, you know, coaches should have a life outside of their job." It's like, yeah, they should, but if you want to be great, I mean, you do have to be obsessed with it. That's why you're getting paid that kind of money. You know what? If you're paying a CEO of a company five million fucking dollars a year. He doesn't get a life outside his company either. So fuck that shit. And you're That's not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy if you're under investigation by the SEC. Right. For, you know, some financial misdoing. And I still can't believe we were dumb enough to take those workouts during COVID, record them, you know. I can. I mean, because, I sh- because if I you shouldn't be surprised, because we as a program can find the most backwards <laughs> way of doing things, we can't even cheat properly. If you're not good at if you if if you don't cheat all the time, you don't know how to get away with stuff. Somebody better consult Tom Osmond. Hey, oh, oh, John, you know what? <laughs> steroids. There's Everybody, uh, I was taking steroids in the eighties. Well, were you taking like cattle steroids? Yeah, that's hot. I was a beast. That's why John's on Bluetooth now. Is that what I call him, Mister Bovine? Saturday night at nine o'clock, I could lift a car and throw it through a house. I somehow don't doubt that. <laughs> uh, look, uh, as as it's been brought to my attention earlier in this episode, we're going to have more conversations with Haas this summer. We're going to break up. We're going to have uh, the offensive defensive line conversation. Can we just have an Still- overarching one about offense, like the play calling. I need to watch some pit film, you know, but I'd like to have just nice deep dive. I won't, I don't really have the time to sit down and write article, you know, series of articles, but talk about a podcast. That'd be great. And I'll tell you why that'd be great because everybody loves you. (laughs) All of the listeners. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't checked the Slack chat room in like months. So they could be saying I'm Benedict Arnold and, I didn't say them. I was, I was talking. I was talking about the people that matter, the audience. The audience. Our, our audience. How many? How many listeners do we have now? Thousands. Guys, you've really grown the brand. We, we. <laughs> you can you can thank John when John decided to uh, start the YouTube channel. <laughs> we do uh, get a lot way, of comments John, on YouTube. By the way, John, I love your video after the Minnesota game last year. <laughs> Apparently everybody else did too. <laughs> yep. My brother in like, like said to me and he's like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's spot on. I was like, oh damn, I know that guy. 
still resonates. Yep. <laughs> That's how I felt driving back from Minneapolis, man. Well, yeah. Minnesota fans, by the way, very uh, passive aggressive yeah. bunch. That's the entire state all the time. I did talk to one cool one who was Josh Hoyple's uh, head coach in Aberdeen, South Dakota. He was cool. Sat next to him at the game. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then what did he, he, he asked what did me what he I thought about, about Frost, and uh, I told him, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I don't think he's very good either. <laughs> and he goes, but we love we love that you guys keep him. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like that's a pretty good stopping point for uh, part one of our summer series. Uh, I don't have a good name for it. It's just Haas. Haas is back. And uh, I feel sun returns. I feel a little bit like it's the end of uh, uh, or the middle or begin. It, it's from Iron Man where uh, uh, they were like, yeah, Tony's back. And, and, and uh, our hero guy who helped start it all. The Iron Man is back with us, at least temporarily. You know, at this point, I'm not going to be doing homework every single night of the week. I'll actually have a job where I go to work and leave my work at work. So, um, yeah, I think I think that'll be good. Ivan, not I, being on coordination for the past few football seasons, as religiously as I watch Nebraska and pretty much all just college football in general, I felt like there was a disconnect, like I didn't have quite as much skin in the game as I used to. I, I would say this. One of the things that would be, if you have the time, uh, <clears throat> I mean, you look at PJ Fleck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he ran, he he runs. How many slant plays does he run a year? It's like their like, entire offense. Yeah, he his offense is like five plays with a few things, and then he puts his second quarterback in there to run the. I don't know. It's not really a wildcat, but, but you know, you know what I mean. Run some designed runs, yeah. Right. And then they'll and then, run Muhammad Ibrahim at you for thirty-five times. Right, and that that guy's way of running his office versus Paul Chris. I mean, you look at Wisconsin early last year; they were a shit show, but they figured it out as the yeah. season went on. Yeah, they got, they they, they have a very they are a very constant offense. They don't. There's not this. We're going to scheme every week for some fucking thing different. You know, you know when I when I left that game up in Minneapolis, and I've clowned on PJ Fleck a lot over the years. I've clowned on Minnesota. Leaving that, I told my buddies I was at the game with. I was like, "That is a Big Ten offense. That yeah. is what I wish we ran at Nebraska. It's brutal. It's effective. They know how to troubleshoot it. You know, they just go out there and execute. They'll mix in a few interesting things from time to time. But at the end of the day, if it's fourth and one, they're just gonna wash down. You know." hit you with down blocks on the front seven and their big back or their speed backs just going to cut off the edge. They're going to pick up, you know, 17, 18 yards, and it's going to be a dagger (laughs) right in the chest of you as a fan of the opposing team. I, as much as I can't stand Fleck, I have a lot of respect for what they do as a program. Yeah. I'd kill for that level of success. Yeah. That's how far we've fallen. The good news is, there will be no body count because Nebraska is back. Is it like Bane and Dark Knight Rises, Crash This Plane, No Survivors? Yeah, they have to have a body. Oh. I recall that. Um, yeah. So that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. Todd, 
you didn't get a chance to talk a whole lot this week. Is there anything you want to say? Oh, I no, I've enjoyed listening. I've, I've said what's on my mind. Okay. You can't, you can't turn me off, Greg. Oh, oh I that? wouldn't want, I wouldn't dare try to turn you off, Todd. <laughs> no, Sorry. hey, Open we're, the door. Uh, we're anxiously through. awaiting the phone call and uh, finding out that uh, the first grandchild is on the way and a nice. uh, couple days overdue, but uh, that happens. Oh, wow. So a little yeah. extra time in the oven, as they like to say. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I, we hope it's a big old sucker so she remembers it. But uh, <laughs> hope I mean so still have uh central time zone, right? Right, Todd? Yes. Still have just under two hours for uh for her to share the greatest day of the year, July fifth. You never know. It could happen. Uh, it could it happen. It could. Well, I don't see it happening, but hopefully by the time this episode drops uh, on the eighth, uh, you'll have held your granddaughter for the very first time. Well, that'd be, that'd be really nice if that were to happen. You know, I, I will throw this in 30 years ago yesterday, John was at my wedding mm-hmm. and um, trying not to pass out. Did he get belligerently drunk? No, <laughs> not at the wedding. The wedding the was reception. in a church. I was wearing a full suit. It was like 145 degrees. Yeah. And I spent his wedding talking to the bridesmaid so I wouldn't collapse. And she's like, she's like, he, she hated me. <laughs> the whole wedding, he's just chatting away. I she didn't uh, take the restraining order out. <laughs> oh, that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I have had, uh, look, this is when, when Haas is not here, it's still a good time and we have different type of conversation, but when we could get into specifics about things that happened four years ago, because that's how sharp Todd's brain is. Like John can't remember what he had for breakfast this morning. Haas's brain is the sharp one. Who, who's did I say? You said mine. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, there's my brain. <laughs> you ever see that uh, clip with Sean McVay? They, Ask him a play from like five years ago, and he's the offensive coordinator for the Redskins or the football team, you know, as they go by now. And they just tell him, like, oh, third and 13, touchdown pass to Jameson Crowder. They don't say what game, or they say the week, but not who the opponent was. He rattles off who the opponent was and what the exact play call was. I think that's where I realized that I kind of have an eidetic memory as well. So it's, it's worked well for me, except when I have to study for something, it's still like, you know, beating <laughs> my head against the wall. Some information just goes in and gets locked in. Other stuff, yeah. Greg, I am pretty sure though. If you were to ask me what kind, what did, how did Jordan Burroughs take down an opponent? I'm pretty sure I could say a double leg. You know, yeah. Just, everybody knows that. Yeah. So let me try that again. <laughs> we we certainly uh, have some quality shows, some great shows, and a lot of fun when he's not here. But there's something special about when Hoss Reuter is here and, and he pulls out specifics from games from last season or from four seasons prior. Um, I said to him, unfortunately, it was a wasted effort on on my part to text and his part to respond. But I said, I want to I want to put together a, a I like respond, a, no, no, no. It wasted effort in your response because I didn't do it. But I said, hey, what are some of your favorite clips from your time on the show? I want to do a little like he's coming back a little teaser. And and I didn't have any time because, again, I've got kids. So uh He's he's like this episode, this rant, you know, and, and he's naming them off. He he's giving me the month and the year. I'm like, 
that's still four episodes that month. I'm not sure which one. I, I, always, I always tell people, I tell my family and friends, this, you better hope that you never commit a crime and you're guilty of it. Because if the prosecutor were to bring me in as a witness, you'd be screwed in court. Because I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that day. Yeah, definitely. I remember when <laughs> so-and-so left, you know. Yeah, I was hanging out with them. They left, you know, and they, they said they were going here. And, yeah, I'd probably end up putting somebody in my family away or friends away. Yeah. Meanwhile... If you're innocent and he's your alibi. Oh yeah. I'm your best friend. Lot, you know, rock solid. So excited for more summer conversations with Haas, uh, especially as we get into offensive defensive line. There's your title. What? Summer conversations with, with Ross. <laughs> Ross. Oh, I forgot it. That's my other nickname on this podcast. That is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'll mute myself so you can finish. Right? Hey, you remember? Uh, you, you're a wrestling. You're a wrestling guy. It's ten right? o'clock. I want to go to bed. You remember? You're a wrestling guy. Remember? Um, Rowdy Rowdy Piper's the boss is back. Uh, no. All right. Well, this is something I saw as a kid. Just on the way, stuck with me. Um, kids, okay. because you had that memory. You, you can just dub over it with the hoss is back. I'll 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 get right on that. I'm sure it's like, on YouTube somewhere. I feel like that's a lot more work than I'm gonna have time or to do. Just have a Ric Flair woo mixed in at the beginning of the episode. There you go. <laughs> 2001 a Space Odyssey player. <laughs> for uh, Todd Wolverton, for John Dam Johnston, for a welcoming back, Hoss Reuter. I'm Greg Mahachko. My this week. And every week that five heart is all the heart you need. Hoss? Is it go big red or win the damn game? Oh shit, yeah. I guess we got we retired the one. John? Go big red. Yeah, he he you need to experience that on YouTube because he backed up about four feet from the microphone so he could shout like an imbecile. You know what? My daughter, my my daughter just moved home this past weekend, so now I have two of my three kids back at home, and that's why I can't stay at your house in October. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll kick out the family for the moron from Illinois. That's that makes sense. Todd, what? oh, big red, John, With the damn off season. Hey, man, ah, Greg, Greg, sorry.